0: Well good morning, it's a wonderful pleasure to be with you again this morning, I really enjoy every chance I have to be here at this church, you're always a blessing to my heart and to my family, and so it's with uh, joy in my heart that I'm here this morning and have this opportunity to share with you about our Lord Jesus Christ who came to the world to save sinners. I ask you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, where we'll have our passage Scripture this morning. Not I'd like to read in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 3, reading through verse 9 and 10, actually. So Hebrews chapter 10, reading from verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins Year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice an offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written to do your will O God after having after saying above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law then he said behold i have come to do your will he takes away the first in order to establish the second by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Our text this morning is about the coming of Christ into the world, but it looks at it from the perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ himself from before his coming into this world. At this time of the year, of course, we see the celebration of Christmas all around us and we partake in this rejoicing of the fact that Jesus came into the world. And as our attention is focused on this, and it's something that we indeed do need to celebrate, the Bible announces the coming of Christ when the angels announced it to the shepherds. They said it was good tidings of great joy, the fact that the Savior had come. And the reason for this great joy is because Christ came to be our Savior. That's really the reason that we need to rejoice in. There are people who, of course, don't understand this. Recently, I was reading some comments on a post on the Internet where somebody is speaking about the coming of Christ into the world, and someone who, I guess, is a little bit cynical about the whole Advent, went in and made the comment that if Jesus came to bless the world, why didn't he do something useful like bring us antibiotics or something like that? And you realize, of course, when a person says that, that that person hasn't grasped humanity's real need. Today we have antibiotics, and there's a, there's a certain sense in which we owe that to the fact that the message of Christianity has revolutionized the world. That's something else that we could consider. But is that really our greatest need? Is that what the world needed? I think anybody can realize that even though we have antibiotics today, that's not the solution for our greatest need. And as important as saving lives may be, The truth is that Christ came to do something infinitely more significant than that and to bring a blessing that is far beyond comparison. The announcement of the birth of Christ in Matthew was in these words. The angel Gabriel spoke to Joseph in the dream and said about Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins now that's, that's our major need that's the biggest need of all because sin is our greatest problem and it's the root of all of our problems if we understand the seriousness of sin we'll understand that of all our needs that's really what we need a solution for And the coming of Christ to be our savior as it says in the scripture he will save his people from their sins that is our biggest need That's our most significant need, and if that need's met, everything else is solved. If that's not met, nothing else really matters in the end. I think many people just don't consider the nature of sin. We don't like to look into the darkness that's in each one of our hearts. We tend to think of evil as something outside of us, and we'd like to be Free from the evil around us, but not necessarily from the evil inside of us. That's the way we tend to look at things. People, and sometimes when I'm teaching English in Brazil, sometimes people in the classroom will have this question, if you could have three wishes, what would you wish for? And people will ask for all kinds of things that really have nothing to do with the root of the problem. They'd like to have a world without suffering, a world without sorrows, but not a world without sin. See, many times what people really would like to have is paradise on earth where everybody can still sin. Everybody can be selfish and evil and wicked in their hearts and actually do that which is wrong without any consequences for that kind of uh, wicked life. But there's really no escaping the fact that sin inside of us is our ruin. And sin is the problem that needs solution. And when Christ comes to save us from our sins, He really brings us that which is our true need. See, sin corrupts us and makes us love that which is not lovely, and it blinds us to the beauty of that which is lovely, to God and His holiness. And the Bible talks about the holiness of God as something beautiful. And indeed it is. And when we realize how justice and righteousness and holiness... Is actually something so lovely and magnificent but sin blinds our eyes to that in such a way that a description of the most wonderful being in the universe our Lord can be something which people can find unattractive and they can think that only things of this life matter only things of our worldly interest But much worse than what it does in terms of blinding us to the real value and the real treasure of God and who He is, sin also alienates us from our Creator. And He's the source of all goodness. God is holy and God will not fellowship with evil. And that means that if We are evil if we are sinful. And that sin problem is unresolved. That will alienate us from our maker. In Isaiah, the scripture says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So there's this separation from God because God will not fellowship with sin. And of course if this problem goes unresolved it will mean eternal separation from God. So as Jesus put it referring to the day of judgment he says Then he will also say to those on his left Depart from me accursed ones into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. This separation that Jesus speaks of when he says Depart from me. This is the real result of sin. And this is something that people need to understand that's what humans need more than anything is to be free from sin and from all that sin entails and brings about. Unless we have our eyes opened by God's grace to understand the depth of our own wickedness, we'll never see that need. that's where many people are and that's of course the ploy of the devil to keep people in a state of tranquility no concern over sin no worry about the need to be sanctified to be made right with God This year I've been reading a lot of John Bunyan's material, and I've read a couple of biographies about John Bunyan as well. There's one passage in the book that stood out to me. John Bunyan wrote, The devil never fears losing the sinner. If he can keep him calm, if the devil can keep the sinner composed in a sinful life and through a quiet death, The sinner becomes the devil's own. That's exactly the way that the devil operates to try to keep people from realizing what their real need is. But the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of sinners to open our eyes to our need of a Savior. Sin is our problem. We're guilty before a holy God. We need forgiveness, we need pardon, and we need a transformation that we cannot achieve on our own. We need to become holy. We need to be remade. We need to become like Christ in terms of His holiness. That's our need. And that's why Jesus came into the world. He shall save His people from their sins. See, the Bible teaches us that justice demands payment for sin. And sinning against God... It's not a small matter. It's not something that can just be passed over. Many times people think that forgiveness should just work like this. We do something wrong, we say, God, I'm sorry, and nothing has to be done about it except God can say, okay, I'll just forget about it. But the Bible is very clear that sin is much more significant than simply something that can just be laid aside and God can just say, well, let's just not talk about that anymore. I'll pretend it never happened. You pretend it never happened and that'll work. Sin needs to be paid for. And from what we see in Scripture, as far back as in the time of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, God instituted a system where people would sacrifice in order to, through the sacrifice, represent something of the need that sin has. We find Abel sacrificing to the Lord and God's acceptance of his sacrifice. What we deduce from this is that God instructed them to do that. God instructed them to approach him through a system of sacrifice. And We know that as time went by, when the law was given through Moses, God regulated how the sacrifices would be done, who would do them, how they would be done, and all the rules were made in such a way that they would more clearly point to Christ who was to one day come into the world as John the Baptist announced Him, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so we that all the sacrifices pointed to Christ. That was really their purpose. And they were made in such a way that they would clearly communicate this message. Sin is a serious matter. Sin needs to be dealt with. Sin needs to be paid for Expiation must be made, atonement must be made, and this must be made through the shedding of blood. And so the Bible has this message so clearly throughout all these rituals that come in the Old Testament. And here in our passage this morning in Hebrews, that's exactly what the passage is talking about. And the author of Hebrews is picking up this matter, and he's taking up the fact that all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they didn't solve the problem of sin. They couldn't solve the problem of sin, but as verse 3 says, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Their purpose was never to actually save, but they were educational. They were a teaching method that God instituted, and it was very graphic. A person would see that animal being slaughtered, and they would see death taking place, and the blood being shed, and the person would understand. That's how serious sin is. It takes the shedding of blood to remove the guilt, to atone for sin. It's not something that you can just pass over lightly. Our sin is a serious matter. But the sacrifices that communicated this message, as Hebrews also says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Sin that is that horrible. Sin that that cannot simply be ignored, that cannot be forgiven at the expense of justice. Justice must be meted out when sin has happened. The blood of these animals that were sacrificed had no function in terms of actually bringing about the forgiveness of sins. So verse 4 tells us, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, that was An illustration of the process that was needed. That's how God engraved upon the hearts of generations before the coming of Christ. The fact that the shedding of blood is the only way by which sin can actually be forgiven. But that did not solve the problem. As far as really removing our guilt, the blood of animals is completely useless. If you sacrifice one, if you sacrifice a thousand... And through the years, thousands were sacrificed. But they had zero effect in terms of really removing the guilt of sin. Didn't matter how many animals were taken. How many were sacrificed. Their purpose was never to remove sin because that's impossible. But they did have the function of transmitting the message that this typifies what is necessary for our salvation. Sacrifice must be made to atone for our sins. But of course, not the blood of these animals. What blood would be sufficient? Is there any which is sufficient? Well, Of course, since the blood of animals is not sufficient, we should think about this and consider what would be enough. If we understand the greatness of God, we'll understand... That offending God, God who is perfectly good, God who is righteous, our revolt, our rebellion against God is of infinite consequence. And being finite creatures as we are, nothing that we can really do could atone for that. We couldn't pay for our own sins. An eternity would not be enough. If there were an innocent human that had no sin, but it was also like ourselves, just a, a finite human being, that person would also not be able to take our place, would not be able to really atone for our sins and be able to say at one point, it is finished. That's impossible. There's only one being in all the universe that can do that. And that's the infinite God Himself. The only solution that could possibly be made for our sins is if God became man and as man suffered the penalty of sin in our place. Now think about what that really means. We're totally at God's mercy. Nothing that we could ever do could solve our problem and we could never even actually approach God and suggest I have, a, I have an idea I've sinned I'm guilty you take my place well, we, could never, we could never propose that to God imagine what that would mean but before we could even understand our own guilt God had already made a plan to do that on our behalf And without any initiative on our part, God Himself took up the mission of saving us from sin. And that's why Jesus comes. And that's what our passage brings out. And I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful expression of the love of God in this passage. I'd like for you to read verses 5 through 7 again with me. Look how Jesus offers Himself to come into the world and be our substitute and be our Savior. Verse 5 says, Therefore, when He comes into the world, and here's the Lord Jesus Christ, when He comes into the world, this is why He says, and He says this to God the Father, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you have taken no pleasure. Then... I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written to do your will, O God. So just as it was written, just as it was in Scripture, the fact that a Savior would come, that Savior being the Lord Jesus Christ, that was what was prophesied. When Jesus comes into the world, he says this, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, So Christ, the son, speaking to the father, he recognizes, and he says, sacrifices, burnt offerings, all these sin sacrifices really don't satisfy God. They don't satisfy justice. They can never do it. And realizing this, Christ says, you've prepared a body for me and I have come. I've come into the world to do your will. I've come to atone for sins you know the birth of christ was different from any other birth in many many ways one aspect that we should realize is that we don't decide whether we would be born or not we're here not because of a choice of our own i think it's very interesting how we say that that you don't birth yourself you are born it's passive we're just you know by the time we realize that we were born we're already here and we have no say on the matter see jesus did Jesus, having existed from all eternity, as it says in the Old Testament prophet, that His... From the days of eternity, Jesus Christ chose to be born. And He says, the Father prepared for Him a body. He says, I've come to do Your will. It was a choice on Jesus' part to come into this world and be born. The fact that it says here, a body... You have prepared for me. It's talking about the humanity of Christ, about how God made for Christ a human body in which He came to dwell and tabernacled with us, as it says in the Gospel of John. Of course, the Apostle Paul points this out, what this means when he wrote to the Philippians. Just listen to this scripture. It's so special, so precious. He existed in the form of God and did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's what the Bible is talking about here. When the Lord Jesus came, he existed forever. He didn't consider his equality with God something to be grasped. he said, I'll assume the role of a servant and I'll subject myself to death. Puritan Thomas Watson said, A cloud over the sun makes no change in the sun. Just so, though the divine nature is covered with the human nature, it makes no change in the divine nature. So Jesus took upon himself a body And he became man, fully man, totally man. Just as much man as any of us. But he also is God. Who humbled himself to do this role. And came into the world. That's why the, the hymn writer celebrates the incarnation with these words. Christ, by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Those words capture the essence of the humiliation that Christ assumed by leaving the glory at the right hand of the Father and coming to this world, assuming our reality living a life as a human on this planet in order to be one of us so that he could take our place. What it meant for Christ to do this something we'll never really understand. We don't have the opportunity to really understand the mind of God on that level. But we understand that as part of having a human experience that's really genuine Christ accepted a temporary limitation of using His divine power to live a life here as we live. Instead of walking amongst us here on this world, fully exercising His omniscience, He subjected Himself to the experience of discovering things and learning things and being a human like us. Instead of Fully exercising his omnipotence. He experienced hunger and thirst and fatigue just as we do. And although he is the author of life. He subjected himself to death. And as Paul points out. Death on the cross. Of all deaths. The humiliation. The excruciating nature of that. And subjecting himself to the imputation of sin to his account. Our sin to be our Savior. The humiliation of Christ to come into this world was a completely voluntary decision on his part. His offering of Himself as a sacrifice was completely unique in any sacrifice. In all the sacrifices that were made to prefigure the coming of Christ, there really were no volunteers. The animals were selected, but they didn't go into the sheep pen and say, which one of you would like to be a sacrifice today? There were no volunteers. The animals were taken very much against their will. But as was pointed out in our Sunday school lesson this morning, this is Isaac, could be a picture of Christ and the fact that he was, he did not resist as his father would have tied him. Even so, Christ did not resist. He subjected himself to do the will of the father. Why did Jesus come? Listen to Jesus. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Sacrifice of Jesus is unique in the fact that He alone could actually atone for our sins and that he alone would volunteer to do such a mission. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus expresses this in some of the most interesting words in scripture, I I would say. Jesus talks about why he came. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he goes on and says, I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. See, Jesus gave his life out of love. As he also says in the Gospel of John, greater love has no man than this that one lay down his life for his friends. So as the time came, and the time was drawing near when Jesus would go to the cross, the burden of what he was going to go through was very keenly felt in the depth of the soul. At one point, Jesus says, Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Father? Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So, as we think about the coming of Christ into the world, as we think about the incarnation, as we think about the birth of of Jesus, we need to remember that this was a choice of Jesus Christ to come into the world to be our Savior, to be the sacrifice for our sin, to be our substitute. And he did it out of love. Out of love for his people. Out of love for the people that he would save. And that is exactly what our passage is bringing out. Notice what verse 8 says. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings, and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. See, what the Scripture is saying is that a recognition that there, were, there would be no other solution for the problem of sin, no other way to save God's people other than Christ's coming. Sacrifices, offerings for sin, God took no pleasure in those things. He didn't desire those things those things that the law prescribed, those things could never truly be a solution. That is what led Jesus Christ to say, Behold, I have come to do your will. This is the mission of Christ. This is the reason for Christ coming into the world. And of course, that is why, for us it means great, good tidings of great joy. Because our most grievous problem and our greatest need is solved through the coming of Christ. That's something to sing about for all eternity. That's something to praise God forever. That's something that should overflow in our hearts and realize, Jesus loved me. That He'd give His life for me. That He'd come into this world for me. Jesus died for me. Of course, it's greatly important that we understand this and that we trust in this and that we trust in this alone. The message of the book of Hebrews, of course, you'll understand that the context of... The the whole book is bringing out the fact that having Jesus come into the world, died on the cross, rose from the dead to be our Savior. It's not only that there's no more need to continue... Offering those sacrifices that God had prescribed to prefigure Christ's coming, it's actually wrong to persist in doing that. As the Lord God tore down the veil in the temple and symbolically expressed the fact that that was no longer necessary, that's over. People who would continue in that means of approaching God and, and those sacrifices were actually failing to recognize. That now that Christ has come, sin has been paid for in a final way so that sins no longer need to be done, these sacrifices no longer need to be done for. Before the sacrifice had to be done yearly, and year after year, non-stop. Why? Because none of those sacrifices solved the problem. The problem continued. Those sacrifices were only symbolic. Those sacrifices did not atone for sin. They did not remove sin. They did not solve our guilt problem. But when Jesus comes and He does it, then it it's over and there's no more need for that. And so all these sacrifices that were done to picture what Christ would do really now have to be laid aside. And so the end of verse 9 points out this fact. That he says He takes away the first in order to establish the second. All those sacrifices what they pointed to They are now taken away. Jesus said, that does not fix the problem. That is not enough. You did not desire that. So what does he do? He removes the first in order to establish the second. And there's a reality that when it says, in order to establish, only those who really understand the solution for our guilt and for our sin is Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. That is the only solution for our sin. And you take away everything else and say, I trust in nothing else. I trust only in this and I trust in Christ alone. That is the only way to be saved. And so many people are out there trusting in their works. And they're saying, maybe if I can be good enough. Maybe if I can do the right things. Listen, if we could stop sinning completely. If we could become perfect humans. And live a hundred years in this world living a perfect life and doing good. And being a wonderful example to everybody. That would not take away the guilt of our sin already. We would still be condemned for our guilt. We need Christ. We cannot earn our salvation. Many people believe that maybe if I suffer, maybe if I get purged from my sins through sufferings here or somewhere else, or maybe if I go through many incarnations and suffer repeatedly, eventually I can pay for my guilt and I'll be free. No, you can't pay for your guilt. It's too immense. It's more than we could ever pay for. Only the infinite cost of the blood of Jesus Christ can save us from our sins. And just as the Hebrews are here called to understand that you have to take away the first and and understand that all those sacrifices cannot save. The blood of bulls and goats do not save you. You have to understand that that only serves to point to Christ. But the solution is Christ. Even so, we need to understand... Nothing we do, no suffering on our part will ever be a remedy for sin, but we need to trust in Christ alone and understand Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and He saves those who put their trust in Him and in Him alone. And that's why the Bible is calling us to do this here. And the Bible is saying that it's necessary to understand that the first is removed to establish the second. The sacrifices of animals no longer should be practiced. It's already been fulfilled in Christ. And any other thing that somebody could trust in and say, well, I'll I'll take this route to salvation. And maybe this will do. No, only Christ. Only Christ. I think that's so clearly transmitted through the pages of Scripture. When you read about how the Lord Jesus, before going to the cross in the garden, prayed to the Father... And he gets down on his knees and he prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And he prayed repeatedly these same words. You know, all things are possible for God. And Christ, the Son, recognizing this, prays to God and he says, I would rather not drink this cup but your will be done. Now, honestly, if there were any other way to salvation, if people could be saved by any other means, if Jesus' blood would not have to be shed for our sins, and people could be saved by their own goodness or their own suffering or anything that anybody could dream up, that prayer would have been answered differently. And God would not have said, proceed, go to the cross. The reason Christ went ahead is because that's the only way. That is the only way. And so as the Bible says, the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. And only the blood of Jesus can can do that. Only the blood of Jesus has that power. There is no other way. And I challenge you from Scripture this morning. If you have any other concept in your head that you think, I hang on to this. This takes care of me. Maybe I don't really need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Because I'm not really that bad or or whatever it may be or I have some other form of religion, God will recognize my religion. What the Bible says is that Christ is the only Savior. To the Galatians, they were beginning to look at their own works as a way to take care of their needs before God. The Apostle Paul wrote and said, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died needlessly. And what is he saying? If keeping the law could be a way for salvation then there is no reason for Christ to die. He died for nothing. He didn't die for nothing. He died because no one can keep the law. No one can save themselves. No one can provide for their own salvation. There is no other way. We need Christ, and we need Christ only. Christ is not only the only Savior, He's a sufficient Savior. If you have Jesus Christ and you trust in Christ, you need nothing else. You don't need Christ plus your own merit. You don't need Christ plus any ritual. You don't need Christ plus anything. Christ is enough, He's a Savior. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, why not do that even this morning? Why not realize that that's the reason Christmas is really something to celebrate. The coming of Christ is a celebration because Christ came to bring salvation. Of all the gifts and all the presents that you could ever receive, and many people are excited about presents this time of the year, well, this is of all the greatest. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. That is the meaning of Christ coming into the world. And if you understand that, you understand that Christ is that which is most precious and that which will be valued above all. Do you trust in Christ this morning? I pray that you do. Let's bow our heads and say a word of prayer. Thanking the Lord for the coming of Christ into the world. Dear Lord God, we thank you, Lord, because seeing us in our need, seeing us in our condition of condemnation, you loved us enough to provide for us a Savior. And we thank you for Jesus Christ that came in the world for saving sinners. We thank you because he loved his people to such an extent that He laid down His life for His sheep. Oh Lord, we rejoice in that. We rejoice, oh Lord, that being lost and condemned in our guilt, You contemplated our estate and You loved us and Jesus came to save us. Lord, these days as we have our attention focused on the coming of Christ in this world, and we think about his birth in this world, his wonderful incarnation. Make our hearts grateful, Lord. Make us appreciate the depth of your love and the significance that this has for us. Give us a glimpse, O oh Lord, of how great our salvation in Christ is. Make us, O oh Lord, truly, truly. Grateful, because Jesus loved us and came to die for us in our our place. We thank you, Lord, for the coming of Christ. We thank you for salvation. And we thank you for your love, in Jesus' name. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and blessings of the Holy Spirit be upon you. Amen.